All right. If you have your Bibles, let's, let's open them up to, to Luke chapter 5. Um, and if you say, if you think to yourself, hey, Luke chapter 5 is typically not used for a Mother's Day message. Um, that is because um, in order for you to find a Mother's Day message in Luke chapter 5, you're going to have to figure it out yourself uh, because it's not there. Um, and so, uh, so for a few weeks, we've been, we've been walking through some snapshots that, that reveal Jesus in this chapter of Luke 5, and, and we're working kind of towards this end to, to what happens when we see Jesus clearly. And, and I think there's a temptation really in the hearts of, of everyone to, to view Jesus, um, that, that, to have a view of Jesus that may be in part of who he is, uh, but, but is not in whole. Uh, and so, so throughout these weeks, Jesus has proclaimed himself as the Messiah. He's performed miracles, and he's exercised demons, and he's healed many people of their ailments, and, and he's cleansed the lepers, and he's forgiven sins, and, and he's restored movement to a paralytic. And, and as he exercises this authority over creation, we, we've said frequently that he doesn't do these things in compartments, uh, that, that he does them so that we would see, ironically, what the demons said a couple of weeks ago, that we would see how Jesus is the Holy One of God, who's been sent to rescue us from the grip of sin that, that leads to death. But we, never, we never graduate from that part of understanding who Jesus is. And, and so, so sin has always been, uh, and I think continues to be, the greatest suffering of human condition. And now I know you're like, okay, that, in a human condition, it gets pretty dark and it gets pretty painful. But I'm telling you, I believe so firmly that, that sin has always been the greatest suffering because there's, there's no amount of payment we can come up with, monetarily or professionally or, or personally, that, that can make restitution for such a grave offense before a holy God. And that is what makes his love for us so incredibly rich. Uh, because, because it's in that moment, while we are entangled in sin, where he sends Jesus to do for us what, what we could not make right in the best of our abilities, right? Uh, we, we kind of put it this way. If, if we put all of our good acts together, right, and we, we drew a straw and we said, all right, that person gets the very best of everybody's intentions, all of that still separates us uh, from God, and, and so, so, so the death of Jesus, and, and, and I think um, the death of Jesus makes possible for our sins to be forgiven, and the resurrection of Christ brings life back into our dead bodies, and so, so let's, let's not confuse this promise of life uh, by looking at it through the lens of, of lesser pursuits uh, when it comes to our lives, believing that he's come to make sure that I have, have more money than bills, or uh, I have a, a newer car than my neighbors, or that I can go on the best vacation that everybody is, who's friends with me on Facebook, you know, got to go on. Uh, that that what Jesus brings us in His life is so much deeper and more powerful than weak idols. And, and so, so the fullness that He brings into our life with with His peace and His joy and His strength and His wisdom and His love and and really just Himself, it it completes us in in the ways that only he can complete us. And so, so when, when these pursuits are connected to the heart of a person, 
uh, incredible and life-changing adventures are possible for the benefit of so many others, but also for the glory of God. And that's what we get to see put on display in, in these chapters in the Gospel of Luke. And, and so, so as Jesus is revealed as the Holy One of God, what we've been doing is, is exploring just what His holiness is displaying in these, well, at the end of today will be these 32 verses. Uh, and so we started in verses 1 through 10, if you remember, and we said that Jesus has a holiness that, that exposes us to ourselves. Uh, and so, so we saw this through the eyes of Peter as Jesus provides so many fish in his boat, and the boat begins to sink, and, and Peter catches a glimpse of Jesus, and his response isn't celebration, it's, it's this, this, this being undone. And he falls to his knees and he says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And what we said was, what was beautiful about Jesus' response is he looks at Peter and he says, come on, Bubba, just follow me. And from that point, Peter gets out of the boat and starts following Jesus. And then this led us to uh, verses 17 through 26. And, and we ended this uh, last week in, um, I'm sorry, uh, 12 through 16, uh, where, where we see that Jesus' holiness cleanses us before God. And this, this awareness came through the lens of, 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 of a healing that was taking place between Jesus and a man that had said he was full of leprosy. And, uh, and the declaration from, from the man with leprosy was very simple. He just looks at Jesus and he says, If you will, you can make me clean. If you'll do it. I believe you can. And, 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 this, and, and then Jesus stretches out his hand and, and and he touches him, and immediately the leprosy left him. And, and we celebrated how, how Jesus is, is, first of all, willing to touch the unclean, which is us. And then secondly, how his touch brings healing. And then that led us into another scene in verses 17 through 26, where we see that Jesus' holiness legitimately forgives sins. Legitimately. So, so we ended last week with this paralyzed man who's being lowered down the roof uh, by his friends. And, uh, and Jesus looks at him and, and says, hey, your sins are forgiven. To which we would say, that's not his biggest problem. To which Jesus says, no, dummy, it is. His biggest issue isn't his physical issue. His biggest issue is his spiritual issue. So he says, your sins are forgiven, which sets off all the church folk who are just kind of following along, and they say, this man is blaspheming God with his words. And Jesus knows, again, he knows the man's bigger issue is not his inability to walk, but his inability to have forgiveness of his sins. And so, so in such a compassionate way, Jesus displays his authority for forgiving sins, and he just tells the guy, hey, get up and walk, which he does. And, and, and we are left understanding how he can take our sins, both our, our initial rebellion against God, and then, uh, if you are a believer, this, this pressing and, and possibly frequent temptation uh, that, that leads to transgression, that, that Jesus takes those and he has the authority to forgive those because he's paid the price for them. And so, so the focus on this last scene today is going to bring us, I believe, uh, to... to what I believe is the pinnacle of what these past couple weeks have been leading us to. Uh, because I think it kind of brings us together in a cohesive thought. So, so as Jesus' holiness exposes us 
to ourselves and shows us we can be cleansed and then legitimately forgives sins, we're going to see in, in verse 32 that Jesus' intention for displaying these things is to show how he has a holiness that calls sinners to repentance. Okay? That's what he does. And so uh, if, if, you're, if you are wondering, Matthew chapter 9 kind of also brings us to a familiar scene of, of Luke chapter 5. And so, and so one thing I want to lay before you uh, before we get ready for verse 27 is, is that I want you to note just how willing Jesus is to spend time and invite people into relationship with him who don't have it all together. Uh, in fact, uh, or, or even people who are living contrary to, to God's way. Okay, I want you to pay attention to that. I mean, we've seen this already a bit, how he'll, he'll heal and he'll serve the outcast and, and the marginalized of society, uh, the people that we're tempted uh, to stay blinded toward, or the people that we're um, tempted to avoid because they don't seem to have it together and they seem to be messy and it seems like a lot of work, right? But Jesus will walk right into their lives and do these, these incredible things. And so what we're going to see in part through verses 27 through 32. Some of you thought, oh, we're only going through five verses today. We'll get out of here early and we'll get to Luby's before, you know, all the other Mother's Day people. No, there's so much in here. Um, buckle up. So, uh, but, but what we're going to see in part is, is it's so refreshing if you've believed that God wants nothing to do with you in your mess. Okay? The gift of these verses is going to speak to that. In fact, this is, this is one of the greatest things Jesus comes to reveal about the heart of our Heavenly Father because Jesus explains Him in very relational ways by, by explaining how He has a heart that is filled with love and, and compassion and, and mercy and grace and, and holiness and worthiness and, and power. And this is, this is primarily because the people who were trying to represent God were not representing Him properly. And so, so Jesus goes and He shows a more accurate way, a different way. And, and one of the ways he does this is, is just by taking note of the men that he calls to be his disciples. Uh, because if you ever thought that the disciples were uh, just the cream of the religious crop, uh, then, then you need to see where we're traveling this morning. Uh, because more, more importantly, if, if you're a believer and, and you think you can never do anything significant for God, then you need to pay attention to, to what happens here. Uh, and now, if you perhaps maybe you're a person who has a past that haunts you uh, from time to time, uh, then, then maybe it's that's slowing you or shackling you from living for the glory of God. Then I pray today, as we sang earlier, that we are set free because Jesus includes and He empowers people with past and with wounds and with scars to do some of the most incredible things. And so here we go. In, uh, in, in verse 27, after this, okay? So what is after this? Well, verse 27. I mean, verse 26. So after verse 26, verse 27 says, After this he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi. Okay? I said this a, a couple weeks ago um, si when we were talking about Simon, and I said if I say Peter, it's the same guy. If I say Matthew and Levi, don't mix them up. They're the same guy, all right? Um, it's just I, my own brain keeps tricking myself. Um, so, so after this, he went out, Jesus went out, and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, and let's just stop, because we have a comma, so we can take a breath. All right, so, 
So any, any conversation uh, regarding taxes typically lead to irritation or frustration, right? Uh, in fact, any involvement with the tax collector uh, or with the IRS are unwelcomed. Uh, and, and if you are, aren't doing anything illegal, they seem to be unwarranted. Uh, in fact, receiving a letter about your taxes, right? Does it not just cause a level of anxiety? Like we just recently got our um, tax statement from Parker County the other day. And, and as I'm opening it, I'm like, I'm like praying to God as if I was a sophomore in high school again. Hey, God, I know I didn't study for this test, but if you can miraculously let me pass, right? And I'm like, God, please let this not be as bad. And I'm crying, and I'm like, why are you crying, dude? I was like, it's just, I don't know. So really, any, any involvement with that. And so anytime you're, you're called to the mat with, with, with the IRS or, or with just simple tax collectors, there's this, there's this anxiety, and now... Now, we, we can take those feelings, and we can take those, that anxiety, and we can take that frustration, and we would still not really be close to the animosity a Jewish tax collector like Levi would have experienced. Not even, not even close. Uh, in fact, in Rome, you could, you could buy your opportunity to collect taxes in the different provinces that they had conquered. Uh, and so, so you could kind of have a tax-collecting franchise, uh, and, and pretty much everything was taxed. And so these collectors had uh, this bottom line that they owed to Rome, but then there were little regulation on, on surcharges that they could use to fill their pockets. And so, so if you were Jewish and you took this kind of a job, you stood literally as a man against his own people. And so, so you were a reminder to them constantly that they were a nation that was not their own. Uh, they were a people that were not their own. And so, so needless to say, taking advantage of your own breaks a lot of the bro code. Uh, and so people like Levi are held with, with great contempt, almost in their own category of hatred. In fact, biblically, they're held in their own category of, of hatred. Uh, in fact, the Bible will, will designate them at times, and you'll see this today, um, as tax collectors and sinners. Okay? And so, so you were considered a traitor, a constant reminder that Israel was not our own. You were excommunicated from the church, and your family would disown you. And now Jesus is coming in, and he stands before such a man, which, which really just causes me to wonder, what is going on in the minds of the disciples? Because Jesus looks at the guys, and he's like, hey, hey guys, let's, let's go to the market, which is cool. Because at this point, hanging out with Jesus has been pretty great. Because he's, he's healing, and there's, uh, he's teaching, and, and he's even mic-dropping Pharisees. And, and people are like, hey, you're with that guy. And you're like, yeah, I'm with that guy. And so, so it's been something. And, and then you're walking with him. Imagine this. You're walking with him through the market, and all of a sudden you notice that he notices Levi. And you're like, I hate that guy. And then he starts to walk towards him. And then, like, they start elbowing each other, right? And they're like, oh, he's going to lay the smack down. I don't know if they said that in biblical times. I don't even know if we say that in these times. Um, but he, surely, and so, so crowds part, and it's just Jesus standing in front of Levi. And then there's this awkward silence as their eyes meet. Then there's a pause for dramatic effect. And the disciples, I would wonder if they're like, this is going to be epic. 
And then Jesus speaks. And listen to what he says at the end of verse 27. Follow me. Verse 28. And leaving everything, he, being Levi, rose and followed him. And I, I wonder, I wonder again, if, if the puzzles, if the disciples were puzzled by this exchange, because sure, the, these words were similar to their invitation, but many of them were fishermen, not tax collectors. In fact, none of them were tax collectors. In fact, they, they provided for their people, not extort them for personal gain. So, so Jesus says, follow me? Like, shouldn't it be more fair that, that Levi should get a few things right before he's given the privilege of following Jesus? And I think there's this, this beautiful exchange that's unfolding before us. Because note this, before Jesus says, I'm sorry, Jesus says, follow me, before he says, believe in me. Okay, you with? He says, follow me. Before he says, believe in me, he's not asking Levi at this point to change or to commit. He's just asking him to do one simple thing that is within Levi's ability, right? He's just saying, slide your chair back, stand up, and follow my footsteps. That's all you got to do, man. And I think it's, it's in that following, it's in that, that wading into the waters with Jesus where Levi will see Jesus for who he truly is as, as both Lord and Savior, as his liberator and his defender, as his mediator and his king. But, but, but those are all steps to come, right? Those are all down the road. Today it's about doing one simple thing, stand up and spend time with Jesus. That's all he's asked to do. And so every day, every day, guys, there's this invitation from a Savior who loves you to take that step in his direction and just follow just follow. And, and I love this because as, as we take a small step back, let's consider the group of men that Jesus gathered around him, intentionally gathered around him. Right? It's almost impossible to believe that these guys uh, could, could get along for really even five minutes uh, when you think of the makeup of them. Um, that that on, on one hand, that you have at least one, if not possibly two of the disciples are, are zealots. Uh, who are uh, totally and passionately committed uh, to the violent overthrow of the Roman government. So when Jesus comes along and they think of him as a king, they're like, yes, we're finally taking care of those Romans. And then, and then imagine these men sitting at the feet of Jesus next to a tax gatherer who had been employed by the hated Roman government. Like, wouldn't that be awkward? Or let's, let's take the, uh, the, the, the fishermen, right? There were at least four, right? You got James and John, and then you have Andrew and, and Simon. And, and one of the tax duties was, was that Levi was to receive daily payments, almost an extortionary tax, uh, from the men who fished in the Sea of Galilee. And, and so, so it's not a stretch to believe that these guys know Levi. In fact, it's, it's not a stretch to believe that they hated him as they paid dues daily, uh, from the catch to to this guy and and this is you now here's what I want you to know this is a picture of the early church these are the guys this this ragtag group of misfits right who otherwise would not spend any time with one another are brought together in a brotherhood because of Christ that, that, that this is the people brought together because of Jesus who otherwise would would not necessarily have anything to do with with one another and what a, what a picture 
of what this place is supposed to look like. Like this place. The group of people here that we otherwise would not have anything in common with one another. But because Jesus has changed your life and because Jesus has changed my life, I love you with more than a brotherly love. I serve you with generosity and and joyfulness. Even though your story is not my story, and again, if it wasn't for Jesus, we would never see each other. What a a beautiful picture. But but leave us us not the focus of this encounter. Jesus is. Okay? And this is why there there are more verses for us to travel down today. So so the question is, Jesus says, hey, follow me. And Matthew's like, okay, so where does does Levi follow Jesus to? Well, duh, a party. Right? So here we go. Uh, Verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. Okay, so here's what you need to know. No one is untouchable to God. No one is. No one is beyond redemption because Jesus shows up at our table. Every time he shows up at our table. And we need to pay special attention to these people that Jesus is reclining with and and investing time in and showing value to, showing love towards, because this is a picture of the invitation that Jesus offers to follow him while at the same time serve as a model for the kind of people the church should be constantly striving, striving to serve. Constantly. So verse 30, and the Pharisees, which it doesn't typically take very many verses to hear about the Pharisees. So he's reclining at table with, with the tax collectors and others. And it says, verse 30, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. In other words, hey, if, if your rabbi is, is from God, then he should look like us, and he should act like us, and, and we don't look like them, and we don't, we don't act like them, so, so we have nothing to do with them. And, and we've, we've talked about this in brief, briefly over the last couple of weeks, that then what if there's a holiness that is more than just the abstaining from certain actions? What if there's a holiness that by its presence interacts with the world and transforms it? And this is the holiness that we're talking about, that Jesus is putting on display in these verses, that that his holiness transforms an otherwise unbelieving world. And so, so... So what's happening is the Pharisees and and their scribes are holding this idea of holiness that requires this total separation from sinners. And I think the sad reality is is they remain blind to their own condition because they don't see Jesus for who he is. And they refuse to accept him for who he is. And so, so our Lord's activities challenge our notions of holiness. Because if we think of holiness only or primarily as separation, we end up isolating ourselves from the very people we hope to reach and find ourselves at odds with Jesus' example here. Someone has to be right. And I promise you this, if it's between you and Jesus, he's right. And so we find ourselves attempting something that the Bible actually says is, is impossible. And so Paul, Paul will talk about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, and, 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 and he's clarifying an instruction to an earlier letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. And, and he says this. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with 
sexually immoral people, uh, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and the swindlers, or the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. And so, so if our aim is to separate ourselves completely from sinners, Paul says, where are you going to go, man? Where? That, that you'd, we have to start a colony on the moon, um, which would be a lonely place, because once somebody else shows up, then all of a sudden the sinner thing's done. And so, so to be holy by having no contact with sinners means that you'd have to leave this world. And so, so Paul continues, and he says, but now, and, and some translations will say, but actually, I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or as an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Okay? This is, I know, you're like, I hope he doesn't talk to the church today. But he says, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is, is it not those inside the church who, uh, whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. So Paul says, purge the evil person from among you. So, so it's strange, right? It's, it's strange to think in this, this paradigm of, okay, wait a minute, so, so I'm not supposed to judge the outside sinner? And Paul's like, no, it's God's job to do that. We hold each other accountable on the inside. And so, so do you see, do you see how the Bible says our instinct is it's upside down? Uh, that, that the Christian church has too often been afraid to engage the lost world of sinners outside while being complacent about the unrepentant sin on the inside. The Bible says to be concerned about anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister but lives an unrepentant and un- immoral life. And so, so with that one, he says, don't even eat. Put them out of your fellowship. Practice church discipline, but regarding the outsider, go to them. Eat with them. Drink with them that you might be able to reach them. We, we can't reach a people we're not willing to have contact with. You, you get that? You get that? We can't reach a people we are not willing to have contact with, which is why verse 31 is so very important to us, because it's in this precise moment that, that Jesus will make a statement and take claim of how our heart should react to his presence and where our feet should take us as ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation. So Jesus answers them in verse 31, and he says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to, to what? Repentance. Repentance. So, so both things that Jesus says here uh, would have the chance to be so very offensive to each audience if it weren't so true. Right? Because look what he does. He's, he's, he doesn't separate. He doesn't say like, like Jesus met the Pharisees and their scribes in the, in the alleyway. He didn't excuse himself. He's reclining at a table and they're arguing about it. And he goes, hey, I'm, I'm here to spend time with the sinners. And someone might have been willing to be like, wait, what? And he's like, mm? And they're like, yeah. Now, if that's the way, shouldn't someone at this point tell Jesus, hey, that's not how you climb the popularity ladder by calling people sinners? 
But here's what, here's what I love about when we watch these interactions that Jesus has with people. He can be offensive, but not malicious. He can, he can look at a person and say, hey, you got to stop sinning. And they're like, what? He's so offensive to me. That's what they sound like. So he, he can be offensive without being malicious. And, and here's, here's what he's saying. He says, he's saying that, that God loves you so much to meet you where you are, but will not let you stay there. Because that's not what's best for you. It's not as what, what is best for you. It's not what is best for your well-being. It's not what is best for his glory. And so, so he says, I've come to help those who are sick, who are dying, who need the great physician. And Jesus is saying that he is here for the people who are in their very most honest moments know that something isn't right. They know that. He's extending the invitation to those who have a habit and have done everything within their power to change, and they can't, and they know they need help. He's extending an invitation to the ones who have lost their need to pretend that all is all right. That, that's, it's, it's, that's something everyone knows in their hearts many times before they're willing to admit it with their mouths. So Jesus extends this invitation to those who are far from God by saying, yes, you, you are sick, and you need a doctor, and that's why I'm here. And then, then Matthew 9 will we'll kind of build out from there a little bit that, that he looks at the church folk and he says, he says uh, hey, use your, your, your own precious prophets and ponder the implications of the words of Hosea when he says, he says, I've come and I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So he says, he says here's the message for the church that I'm now more into the rescue than I am the ritual. And, and somewhere along the way, the people bit the fruit that God hates pe- bad people. That's what they've done. And, and so, so that, that he doesn't have time or patience for your junk. And if God hates bad people, then we're all lost and we're all condemned. But he doesn't. God loves bad people so much that he sends Jesus to redeem us and to make us right with him. That's what he does. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of the gospel. That we cannot call people to repentance if we're never with them. And the best ways that I've learned to call people to repentance is to spend time with them where I earn I earn their trust to speak the truth. So we can't go read sinners without going where sinners are. Uh, and now here's the thing. They're not likely to come to where we are, right? They, they find our parties boring. Uh, they find our fun boring. And, and that's okay. We expect them to. Uh, because because they, they have a taste for this world while we, as believers, hold a taste for heaven. And so, so those differing tastes are not easily joined together. So, so it creates a burden for us to cross a bridge to reach them without adopting their taste. And that's, that's what Jesus does here. I love this. Because Jesus attends Levi's party with the spiritual well-being of sinners in mind. That's why he goes there. So the Lord does not sin with them. Rather, he seeks to save them. And I think we must follow his example while also remembering that we're not, we're not the Savior. And so, so I think I, I should be careful here because I, I think I, I need to say um, for legal purposes um, that, 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 of course, you should know your limits, right? You should, you should know your temptations as you go in 
to the world. And so, so if you are easily tempted to cross the line, for instance, with alcohol, then perhaps going to a bar is not the best step for you to take. Right? Even if it's just after work with some friends to, 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 to kind of wind down from the day. Maybe, maybe that should be safeguard. And that's why, that's why I think keeping a redemptive purpose in mind as you go into the world is important because we're not going into the world simply to hang out with the world. You with? We're not going into the world simply to hang out with the world. I think, I think sometimes Christianity will try to boast of, of their worldliness, and I think it's immature, and I think it's a, it's a bad example, that, that we go not to boast how liberal we are with the world, but to show them where they can find peace and joy where otherwise they can't experience it. And so, so, so many of us, okay, many of us are part of a gym community here in town at, at Redemption Barbell, right? Um, and, uh, and I love this community. I really do. Um, but, but as God has added more people to redemption, he also adds more people from redemption to, to merge. And it's this beautiful thing. And, 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 and what I hope that we would remember is that, that it's not just about going to the gym, Right? And now I want us to bring into question if, if you're one of those people I'm talking to. If not, just listen in. Because um, this can apply to, to your kids' sports teams. It can apply to your gym. This can apply to your club. This can apply to, to wherever. Whether or not, uh, bring it into question, whether our actions and our motivations and our desires that we spend with the people in our communities, whether or not we're shining the light of Jesus or not. Because we can do one of two things. We can shine or we can blend. Okay? We can shine or we can blend. And it's easy on a Sunday, and it's easy with your other church folk to say, oh, my desire is to shine. But I think just asking that question, okay, so in how I treat people at the gym, how I treat people in the office, how I treat people in my neighborhood... The ways we celebrate and the ways we party. Am I shining or am I blending? And I think here's what we need to know. That even okay, if you're part of Redemption Barbell, that, that we are brought together, guys. We are brought together so that those who are far from God find life in Jesus. That's, that's what we get. Uh, every other purpose is just about doing wall balls. And, and science has proven that it's, it's ineffective. Um, and they're dumb, right? And so, if you've ever done a wall ball, you know what I'm talking about. It's the first time anybody's ever clapped on a Sunday. All right. So, as we taste Luke chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, our, our lives change. Because we, we see God's desire for redemption spread out, not just into our hearts, but but outward from our hands and our feet into our words and, and our actions. And this doesn't just benefit us. It brings people back to life. And I love this because the most important thing that Jesus has to say in these words is, is I've come to call sinners to repentance. That's the most important thing. So, so as we consider the, these 32 verses, okay, we, we, we get to know the holiness of, of Christ the Lord, that, that it's a holiness that exposes our sin, and, and, but not in the sense that it's there to just demoralize you. It's there to show you where you are, because you can't get to where you're going if you don't first know where you're at. 
So we have a holiness that exposes our sin, a, a holiness that cleanses us before God, a holiness that legitimately forgives sin, and a holiness especially for sinners who know their sinful state. And as we get to know Jesus in this passage, we learn something about how to respond to him. That, that we should respond like, like Peter who just confesses his sin. He's like, I'm a sinful man. We, we should, like the leper, cry out to God to be made clean. We, we should, like the paralyzed man and his friends, be able to put our faith in the Lord. And if he had died and served as merely a dead martyr, we could follow his ideals and we could follow his teachings, but he's more than dead. You get that, right? That Jesus is, is more than dead. He's alive and he calls us to take steps in his direction and follow where he's moving and, and to partner in what he is doing and offering us an adventure worth living. That's what he's doing. So he is alive and we are set free. It's more than a song. that We are set free. We are free from the wounds of our past. We are free from the confusion surrounding our present. We can, we can walk in the promise of the future that He secured for us. And He takes us into realities of our decisions and even the darkness surrounding our fears that, that He speaks truth into our uh, uncomfortableness and, and places us into the messiness of other people's lives for His glory. He does that. What an incredible responsibility. But more than that, what an incredible privilege to get to be partnered with what God is doing as He redeems mankind. So we come back to this awkward moment in the market. Because the same invitation that, that Jesus extends to Levi, He extends to you and to me. And today it's simply this. Push back your seat. Stand up. And follow me. Like, like there's, there again, we, we talk about, you don't graduate from that. You don't graduate from following Jesus. Like, there's not a moment you're like, Jesus, been following you a long time. I think I'm ready to go solo here. Like, there's never a moment. There's never a moment that he'll look back and say, hey, you can stop following me now. You've gone far enough. Now, you get that. Like, even, even at the end of all time, right, when Jesus comes back, we can still follow him. We can still walk with him. We can still worship him. And so, so, so this is the invitation, no matter where you're at. If you've ever given your heart to Jesus, he says, stand up, push back your chair, and just follow me. Just walk in my footsteps. And if you've never, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, Okay? We want you to know that you were loved here. We want you to know that we care about you here. And we want you to know his simple invitation is simply this. Follow him. Because I guarantee you, you walk behind him long enough, you fall in love with him. Now, I, love, I love the questions that come as we are just taking steps with Jesus. Because there's always more questions than there are answers. Because he's always taking us deeper and deeper and deeper. I love you guys. We're gonna, I'm going to pray us out here. Uh, and as we dismiss, I'm going to make just a couple things available. There will be some people over here on this side of the room that, that if you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. Uh, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, we, we want to answer some questions for you. We want to ask some questions with you. We believe there's no way to be made right with God except for through Jesus. 
And then I'll pray for us a, a, a specific burden today. That we would have eyes to see the will, or eyes to see, and, and really feet to be willing to go into the messy places of people's lives. That we would understand that that you don't just have a job, you have an opportunity to shine the light of Jesus. That you don't just have a club or a community or, you know, you have an opportunity to, to be Christ to the world. So let's, let us pray. Father, as our desire this week is to love God by, by loving people, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we may see your son so clearly and we would respond to him in a way that is worthy of him. I pray that that his, his model and his footsteps would be a challenge to our lives, that, that we, would not, um, under, we would not think of an unbelieving world as, as an untouchable world, but that we would know that, that you've called us into those places to shine the brightest. Father, we lay claim that, that when the light invades the darkness, the darkness cannot overcome. And so, so in the name of Jesus, I pray you would activate us, that you would move in us. That we would not see one person as a lost cause. And Father, I pray for, for those of us who are, are walking and in this moment are, are being wounds are being revealed and people who cause them are being revealed. I pray that you would give us a desire that, that we would know that your love for that person matters. And I pray you would cause us to rise up. And to proclaim boldly your love for us. I pray in the name of Jesus and through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak to us just in these next couple moments. That you would calm us. You would calm those of us who have a past that seems to haunt us. That you would quieten, quieten the, uh, the, the voices and the urgency of our presence. And that you would show us where we can go for rest and for peace and for restoration. Father, we give you these things. We, we lay these at your feet. Help our church be a people who find common ground. And our most common ground is simply that we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right, God bless. You're dismissed.